We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul is reminding the church, and he's telling the church that he is focused. I love this about what Paul teaches us. He teaches us focus. He is focused on what is final. What, what does it mean to be focused on what is final? He's focused on eternity. He's focused on eternity. And he tells us in chapter 4 that although he goes through trials, although he goes through tribulations, although he's going through suffering, all of that is light. It, it is light in weight or in comparison to the promise that he has waiting for him in eternity of eternal life. Now when you think and you have all that suffering and the pain and all of that, it is light, it is, it, it is only temporary co compared to the permanent now promise that we have in Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're going through today, but I want you to know that Paul here reminds us that he has strength and endurance through affliction. Strength and endurance through affliction. He knows that pain is temporary but it's also transforming because of the power of God that is working in us for the glory of God. Pain is only temporary and pain is only temporary but also transforming. What does it do? What does suffering do in your life? It gives you the endurance that we talked about. It gives you a focus on eternity that gives you the endurance and the strength. But all that pain and that struggle and everything that we're going through today, Paul is going to teach us that he goes through it with focus on eternity. With focus on eternity. And he says in, in verse 18 of chapter 4, Well, we do not look at the things that are not seen, but at the things that are not seen, he says. Not the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. See, what is Paul looking at today? What is it that he's looking at here in chapter 4 that me and you can also look at together? He's looking at what is not seen. He's looking at eternity. Because the things that are seen are so temporal and that's what he wants us to know. I'm looking at the things that are not seen. I'm focused not on temporary things. I'm focused on eternal things, Paul is telling us. You see, this Wednesday we studied about now the life of Paul and how Paul lived a very short life. And yes, he lived a short life, but he lived with a long-term vision. What kind of vision do you have? Do you have a long-term vision that your vision goes into eternity? That you know, I'm not just focused on today. I'm not just focused on temporary things. I'm also focused on eternal things because that's exactly what he's going to tell us today. You see, when you focus on eternity, you can be effective here today on earth. You want to be effective here today on earth with your life? You want your life to count, to matter? You want your life to be able to have an impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ that it would go beyond just the everyday routine that we go through? Then focus on eternity and you can be effective here on earth. And because of this, Paul is living with expectancy. He's living with anticipation that he cannot wait to be in the presence of God. What does he teach us here in these few verses in chapter 5 that we're going to read? That he's looking away from temporary things to focus on the finish line. I want to I encourage you today to look away from everything that's temporary. To focus on eternal things. To focus on the ultimate goal. To focus on having the destination, right? Because when you focus on that, the Lord can use your life. You know why people get discouraged? And we talked about that even last week. We get easily discouraged. And we're looking at temporary things instead of looking at eternal things. 
through suffering, through pain, through trials, through tribulation, what gives you the strength to go through them is the now focus that you have on eternal things. Because it's so easy to get distracted on looking at the things that, that you can see. But what is it that you're looking at today that's taking you to the next place, to the next season in your life? Are you looking at eternal things? Or are you looking at what just matters today for the world? You see, we get so caught up with the dream, with the finances, with the house, with whatever it is that we need to be. We need to advance. And it's all temporary compared to the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, in chapter 5, he tells us that he holds on to hope. I want you to hold on to hope today. I want you to hold on to resurrection. Hold on to eternity. Because here he's going to give us a difference. He's going to give us a contrast between the earthly and the eternal things. What is the contrast between earthly and the contrast between eternal things? We, bet, we, we need to know how to distinguish that church. We need to know how to, how to discern the difference between something that's earthly and something that's eternal. And where is it that you are investing your time in? Are you investing your time, your resources in something that's earthly or something that's eternal, that's going to pay dividends in eternal life? Because that's what really matters. Now let's read chapter 5, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. And he tells us this as he makes that contrast. For we know that our earthly house, this tent, read this, is destroyed. If it is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we have not been found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now that He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that Paul is encouraging the church today to walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? Lord, we ask that you would teach us what that means, to walk by faith and not by sight. And I ask, Lord, that you would minister to the hearts of those that are here today, whatever it is that we're going through, that your word would speak to us loud and clear. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. You see, he, he talks about and he mentions we walk here and, and we live by and we walk by faith and not by sight. That's a verse that's very common. That's a verse that we all memorized before. Walking by faith and not by sight. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? You see, walking by faith, walking now demands or walking describes you taking steps but steps of faith. How is it that we're taking steps of faith? You see, the person that is taking steps of faith is one that has the focus on eternity and he is going to give us a contrast whether you are living by faith or you're living by sight. Whether you're living for temporary things or are you living for eternal things. It says in verse 1 this, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent... Now what is the earthly house in this tent that we live in? It's your body. And he's saying, I'm going through suffering, I'm going through affliction. Maybe today you came and you have a physical affliction that's taking place in your life. Well, Paul reminds us that it's only a tent. Have you ever set up a tent before? 
Right? When you set up a tent and maybe you're, you're getting excited to set it up, but one thing you don't like doing is tearing down that tent because it's time to go back home, right? And you're setting up that tent, but you know one thing. And it, talks, it says this in verse 1, For we know. Now I want you to underline that we know. Because there's a lot of times that we live our lives by we feel. <laughs> and God doesn't want you to live your life by we feel. He wants you to live your life by we know. What is it that we know? We know His Word. And we know that this life that we live, He compares it to a tent. Why tent? Because it's a temporary structure. It's a temporary dwelling place. But a tent ultimately is going to be taken down. And when you know that, when you remember that, you have a focus in knowing this is not home. You like how He names it here, a house? What's a house? A house is a structure. It's just a house. It's not your ultimate home now. See, maybe you have a home right now that God has given you that address. He's blessed you with that place. But that's just temporary compared to the now your permanent residence that God has given you, your permanent citizenship that God has given you already, and that is in heaven. You see, the problem with today is that we get so in love with things. We get entangled with the things of this world that we cannot focus and what God has engaged us to be a part of. And then Paul tells Timothy later on in 1st and 2nd Timothy, I don't want you to be entangled with the world. I want you to be engaged with the warfare. You see, you cannot be engaged with the things of the Lord and entangled with the things of the world. It will not happen. And here he's going to tell us in verse 1, we know that our earthly house is going to be destroyed. Now the word destroyed here, here and what he uses in verse 1, he's, he's talking about striking down a tent. One day, God will also strike down this physical tent that we have. One day, he, everyone's going to receive a new building from God, a place to live in throughout eternity. And, and the reason why he's doing this is because he wants you to have a perspective that lasts through eternity. What is that perspective? The perspective that I'm not simply living for today. I'm also living for eternity. Why? Because what you do today matters in eternity. What you do right now matters in eternity. And that's exactly what he wants you to know. He says, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now what does this mean? It means that God himself is a building a house. And this house is not made with just hands. God is building a house in heaven. He's given you an eternal address already. And it's not made with something that can be broken down with physical hands. It's not something that is fleshly, carnal, temporary, that can get old, that can wear down, that, that you're going to have to make repairs to, like in a house that you live in now, that, that, that there's no, going to be no more pain, no more suffering in that house or that body that God has given us. There's so many times where we get so discouraged because of the trials, temptations, suffering, through the pain that we're going through. And maybe they're physical, maybe they're spiritual or emotional. Well, here Paul is reminding us that the things that you're going through are temporary compared to eternity. What is it that you're living for? It's so sad that we get distracted as Christian believers. And we start to live for today. We plan for today instead of planning for eternity. Do any of your goals have anything to do with eternity? When you map out your life, when it comes to your agenda, when it comes to the things that you do in life, do they have anything to do with eternity or is it all about now today? 
how I can grow, how I can advance. So he's going to remind us here that he's able to go through that affliction because he has a perspective and a focus on eternity. Now in verse 2 it says, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our here habitation that is from heaven. Now what does the word groan mean? For in this we suffer, in this we're discouraged, because we long for, we desire, as we're, as we're groaning here, we long for, we desire to be closed with our future habitation, which is, which is from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like, you know what, I, I just cannot take it anymore. I'm suffering right now. I'm discouraged right now. But as he's discouraged, as he's suffering, as he's going through this, he's saying, we earnestly desire. What do you earnestly desire for today? Because his earnest desire, his longing, his desire, his petition is to be in the presence of God. And he said, we earnestly desire to be clothed or to put on our habitation or that which we will inhabit, that which we will occupy and that which is, which is from heaven. It's almost as if he's saying right now, you know, we're eagerly waiting to put on, to occupy, like as if we're putting off old clothing and putting on new clothing that we cannot wait to put that on. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen a bride pick out her dress, right? And a bride goes out and picks out her dress and maybe that bride will, will, will go out and get that dress tailored and fitted. And, and so many times that even the groom would go out with all the groomsmen, right? To, to, to be fit in, that, in that, 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 that clothing that one day they will meet the groom. Now think about this. Paul is saying we are like the bride of Christ. That we cannot wait to put on that clothing that's going to meet the groom there at the altar face to face one time right there for the first time. Do you, do you just imagine now the expectancy that he is waiting? We can't, we can't wait to put this off so that we can put on our habitation and occupy that which is like new clothing that God's going to give us so that we can meet him in heaven. And he cannot wait to put it on. He cannot wait to be in that place where he's, now his habitation is only from heaven. His future habitation where he inhabits, where he occupies that place now. If indeed, verse 3, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Why does he say that? Because he wants to give you now the encouragement that you would know. That in heaven, a lot of people think we're not going to have a body. Well, yes, you will. Right here in verse 3, it tells us that we all are going to have a body. That's the reason why sometimes, man, you have that pain in your back or your knee, or, or you're saying, well, man, I can't take this pain anymore. Why? Because we live in an imperfect body. But God, here it says that God is going to give us a new body, a body here that is fit for heaven, that He is preparing for us. And what's amazing about this in verse 3 is that He's saying, we're not going to be just spirits. Understand, we're going to have a perfect body in heaven. Why is it going to be perfect? Because it's going to be in a very perfect place. And that's why he's groaning. That's what he's saying, man, I just cannot wait as I'm suffering. I can't wait with anticipation. I, I, I'm longing. I, I'm searching for that day where I can put on now my heavenly habitation as a new clothing. What is it that you look forward to today? There are a lot of things that we look forward that we put on our calendar to look forward to accomplishments and dreams and aspirations, things that, that maybe in life we work so hard for. But are you looking forward to the day where you can say, Lord, I cannot wait till you give me that new clothing that I can put on and meet you that I would be fit for heaven. Did you know that this body is not fit for heaven? 
that the imperfections, the suffering, the pain that we're going through is not fit for heaven. That's exactly why the Lord will give you a new body in heaven. Well, that's exactly what he talks about right there. We all have flaws. We're all imperfect. But God is going to give you that new clothing so that it would fit heaven and the perfection of being in the presence of God. And in verse 4 it says, For we who are in this tent, notice it keeps calling it a tent. I love this because you never, get, you never fall in love with a tent. You understand that a tent is something that you're going to put away. Maybe you won't even think about it until the time that you have to pull it back out again. And you wonder, where is that tent that I put, it out, that I, that I put away? But he's saying, but we know again, we who are in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, what is he saying in verse 4? He's saying, in these bodies we're groaning, we're sighing, we're like enduring. Not because we want to leave this body already, not because we want to die. Not because we, we want nothing to do with the body that God has given us. But because of the fact that we cannot wait, it says in verse 4, to, to be clothed now, that mortality or that the mortal body that we have, a body that is dying, may be swallowed up by life. What does that mean? That the mortality may be swallowed up by life. What does that mean in Scripture? What well, he's saying that our heavenly body, eternity, would conquer the sin, the corrupted body that we live in. And they would conquer it completely now. Immortality would be put away with death, would be put away with, and we would live eternal life in these eternal bodies that God has given us. I don't know about you, but sin and pain and suffering, all of that separates us from God. A lot of times people would ask, you know, why is it that my body's falling apart? I'm going through these trials and temptations. You start to get so discouraged. It's because we live in a very imperfect, sinful, sin-corrupted place and in a body that God didn't intend us to be in. And here he's saying one day we groan because we endure and we sigh because one day mortality was going to be conquered by life, by immortality, and death will no longer have power over us. What is it that you feel, why you feel suffering? Because death has power over us because of this mortal body. But we know when Jesus went to the cross and he, he went to the grave and he went out of the grave and he resurrected, what did he do? He gave you now immortality through your soul and he's given you a new body in heaven. Verse 5 tells us this, Now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God. Who, what is God doing? He's preparing. I love that in God's master plan, he's all about preparation. You see, in John 14, he says, do not be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you. Not only is he preparing a place for you, he's also preparing a body for you. But he's also preparing you for that time in where you are going to inhabit that place. He's preparing it. And it's something that God is doing this himself for you. God is preparing. God is preparing you. God is preparing a place for you. God is preparing a body for you. And this gives you so much hope. You think about going through the struggle in life. But going through it with the perspective that God is preparing a place for me. God is preparing a body for me. God is preparing me to be fit for a place in heaven. And everything that He's doing in our lives today is in preparation for us being fit for heaven. You see, I love the sufferings that something God, sometimes God puts us through at the end of it. Not through it, we don't love it, but at the end of it. You start to understand, Lord, thank you. Because you taught me that you're preparing me down here for when I get up there now in heaven. 
You're preparing my heart, my mind. You're preparing me for a, a something different and new. There was a man that was, was going in the middle of painful trials and tribulations. He was walking through his neighborhood. And he saw this construction team that was working at a church. And the church looked all completed in his eyes. The structure was, was built up and, and it had a steeple on the church. And, and he saw one man that was working on a stone. And he was shaping the stone carefully. And he was working on that stone. And he was polishing that stone. And he wanted that stone to be so perfect. And, and the man looked at that man looking, working so carefully at that stone and that block. And he goes up to the man finally as he, after he looked at the, 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 the church building and he said, well, what is it that you're doing? I, I, the building is entirely now done. He, he didn't understand why is it that this craftsman was working particularly on this piece if the whole thing looked like it was complete. And the craftsman looked at this man and he said, I want you to look up at that steeple. Do you see that there's still up there an empty place? You see, I'm fitting and I'm shaping this block and this stone so that it fits perfectly up there. That man instantly knew that God spoke to him in the middle of his trial so that he was, God was preparing him down here so that he can fit up there in heaven. Have you ever felt that God is preparing you down here so that you can fit perfectly in heaven? And he's reshaping you and he's molding you and he's working in your life. And he says here in verse 5 that God has prepared for us this very thing. And it is God that's doing this. Who also has given us the Spirit or the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 5. You know what's amazing about this? That God is not here making you guess. That God is not here allowing you to go through life without, thinking, without knowing for sure if you are going to have that body. No, God is giving you the Holy Spirit. When Jesus went to heaven, what He said, I'm, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And as I give you the Holy Spirit, what is He saying? That is a guarantee. That is the down payment that I'm giving you. So that you know that presence that He's giving you, the presence of God, the presence of the Son, is giving you as a down payment, as a guarantee, that one day you will be in heaven. That's exactly why the Holy Spirit is so comforting. Why is it comforting the Holy Spirit? Because it reminds us that one day we're going to be fully in the presence of God. Have you ever been in the presence of the Holy Spirit where you say, Lord, we feel your presence so thick as when we worship right now? That is a guarantee for us, for you and for me, that one day we will experience God. We will see Him face to face in heaven. And that's so amazing because this Spirit that He's giving us is a guarantee. In fact, it's almost as a, an engagement ring. As a bride gets an engagement ring, she knows, well, for sure the ring is on my hand now. I'm taken. I'm separated for someone. I'm sealed. Then you know what? This bride is ready to meet now her groom. Now when the Lord wanted to prepare his bride, you know what he did? The first preparation that the Lord did for his bride is that he died for his bride to cleanse his bride of sin. But then he separated his bride by giving his bride the Holy Spirit to seal and to separate her for that day when he would meet her fully face to face. Isn't this amazing here in verse 6 that he's saying, verse 5, that God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee? The Holy Spirit guarantees that you have been purchased. The Holy Spirit guarantees that you're taken. That's why the Holy Spirit's so important in our lives. It, it guarantees and it declares that you're not a slave to sin anymore, that you don't belong to the world anymore, that, that you're a child of God. 
And that you receive all the rights, all the privileges as His, as His children when Christ returns because you are sealed and separated by the Holy Spirit. But now He's going to tell us that because of this Holy Spirit, because of this guarantee, He has courage. He's filled with gratitude. He's filled with confidence. And he can face the challenges in life because even as he's going through suffering, even as he's looking at death, even, even as he's looking at trials, he can face everything with fear because he has that guarantee. Do you know that when you have a guarantee, it gives you some kind of comfort? Have you ever invested in something but you have a guarantee and you say, you know what, uh, there, this is not risky, I have some comfort in this because there is some guarantee. What's so amazing that the Holy Spirit has given us a guarantee. It serves as a guarantee that we are going, we are not lost, we are found in Christ, we are separated, and that we are sealed. And because of this guarantee, we are sure going to go to heaven. Now in verse 6 it says, so we are always confident. Underline that church. I have a guarantee, so I'm confident. Yes, I'm going through struggles. Yes, I'm going to trials. Yes, I know that my body is hurt. But I have this guarantee of heaven. I have this guarantee, the Holy Spirit, His presence. And because of this guarantee, I know that the things that I'm going through are so temporary. Because of this guarantee, I know that I'm going to get a new body. Because of this down payment, I know that God has purchased me for something new that's in the heavens. Because this guarantee, is, it weighs so much. The value of this guarantee makes me confident in every situation. You know what makes you confident? It's not what you have. It's not what you experience that gives you confidence. It's not your money. It's not your career. It's not the house you have that gives you confidence. What gives you confidence is the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because it gives you endurance to go through suffering. That is the most awesome guarantee. I, I think it's so sad that in the culture that we live in today, we have so many young and even elderly people that are living with so much doubt and so much fear. And we start to wonder. You see a lot of young people that, that, that are wondering in, in regards to, and it goes through all ages and, and generations. We look at the things that are happening in our culture. In regards to residency and citizenship and house and home and all of that. But when you know that you have a guarantee, guess what that brings in your heart? It brings peace and it brings comfort because you have the guarantee of heaven. I have a guarantee, and the guarantee is in the Bible, and it's the Holy Spirit, and I'm not fearful, I'm filled with comfort, because God has given His Spirit to, to inhabit my life, until one day I occupy that, earth, that heavenly body, because right now I'm just in the tent. You see, are you living in the power of the guarantee? Have you ever noticed that when you have a big, large down payment, it gives you so much security. Oh, my down payment was huge. There's so much security in that. But think about the large down payment that God gave for you, His Holy Spirit. So that you have so much security and safety in the will of God. Now verse 6, it says, So we're always confident knowing that. Understand that He's saying knowing that again. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We know that while we are in this body, we're absent from God. This body is keeping us away from the experiencing the full presence of God because we are in a mortal body. This body is filled with sin. It's filled with corruption. It's filled with decay. It's dying right now. 
And this body is keeping us away from being in the presence of God. However, we still have confidence in that. We know now what God has given us. He's given us this, this body that one day we're going to be absent from the body and we're going to be present with the Lord. That's why I think it's so amazing when you go to a, a, someone's funeral that uh, believed in, in Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As much as we're going to miss that person, think about how much confidence you can have at that meeting. And we have a confidence in that meeting because that person is in their heavenly body now. It's amazing. It's so amazing to know that. They're absent from the body, but guess where they're at? They're present with the Lord. They're in a much better place than we are. And there's so much hope in that. Because of the casket, it just has a tent in there. You go in there, you look at the casket. You know what? That's what they wore when they were here, but now they wear something much better. <laughs> and they're in a very much better place. Think about this. We're here sometimes talking about the person now, right? And, and crying out to God sometimes and saying, Lord, we miss them. But they're in the very presence of God. And they're, they're, they're enjoying the presence of God. Why? Because they have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And there's so much hope in that. Now he tells us in verse 6 that we're confident knowing that while we are home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. But let's read on because he's going to say, one day we're going to be absent from the body and we are going to be present with the Lord. This is amazing. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Can we say that? For we walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? We understand. We know that our focus is not on temporal things. It's on the assurance that one day we're going to be in heaven. That's walking by faith and not walking by sight. We don't walk by the things that we can see. We walk by the things that we can't see. We can't see. And that's eternal things. That's our faith. That is our hope in Jesus Christ. That is the love. That is the Holy Spirit that God has given us. We're walking by faith. We're not walking by sight. A lot of times we want to walk by sight and we say, Lord, what are you going to do for me today? What is my goal in 10 years and in 20 years? And that's walking all by sight. But God has called you as a believer to take steps of faith every day. In order to walk, you must take steps of faith. What kind of steps of faith are you taking to say, I'm walking by faith and I'm not walking by sight? I'm walking towards a focus, towards eternity, not towards the temporal things. You see, we say, you know what, I'm just living by faith. But every decision you make, you're making it by sight. <laughs> you're saying, well, we're just, we're trusting God. Are you really trusting God? Are you trusting God with the things that maybe you don't have answers to? Are you trusting God knowing that life is just short, that pain is temporary, but the promise that you have is much more eternal? Are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? Because he tells us this, we're living really Believing, even though we cannot see, truly trusting God with vision for that which is not visible. That is real faith right there. You see, right now, our faith, right now the presence of God in our life, it's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of sight. And sometimes people think, well, you're crazy. <laughs> you're living your life for something you can't see. Absolutely, I'm walking by faith. You're living your life by something that you can see, something that's so temporal. That's scary. You know, what is faith? What is faith? Hebrews 11, 1 tells us, Now faith it is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that cannot be seen. We live for eternity that cannot be seen right now. And maybe that is not the way of the world, but that's the way of the cross. 
We want to be living the way of the cross, not the way of the world. Right? What does it go on and tells us, verse 8, we are confident. Again, I love this, that through suffering, through trial, through the things that he's going in life, he has confidence. He tells us the second time, he says, we are confident. Why is he confident? Because he's confident because of what he knows, not because of what he feels. Our society has taught us to be governed by what we feel, and therefore we lose confidence in what God has called us. He said, we're confident again, even in this moment. I can be confident in that season that God has me in. I can be confident in the place that God has called me to. Because of what I know. What do I know? That God has given us a guarantee. And that guarantee is the Holy Spirit. He tells us this. We're confident. Yes. Well pleased. Rather to be absent from the body than and to be present with the Lord. Uh, he said, I'm so confident. I'm trusting God. I'm living this life by faith. Fully trusting God. And, and not only is he confident, but verse 8 says, I'd rather be absent from this body so that I can be present with the Lord. Now, think about this. If the Lord would have called you home, would you be happy to be present with the Lord? Would you be happy to be in the presence of God? Do you, want, do you love the Lord because you want to be in His presence? Because heaven without being in His presence is not even heaven. The whole point of heaven is to be in the presence of God. When we come to church and we worship Him, we lift our hands up in worship and adoration, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. You can't do it for 30 minutes at church. How are you going to do it for eternity? <laughs> this is what we do right now for 30 minutes, for, for two hours. This is, we're going to be doing this forever and ever and ever. The Bible says that the 24 elders would grab their crowns that they would have, that God would give them these crowns because of the rewards, and he would give us crowns. He said that they grabbed these crowns, and he, they cast them at the presence of God. They said, who are we? And they just bow down and say, holy, holy, holy. Because they have a longing to be in the presence of God. You see, for us, and for Paul, it should be the same. It was for him, as it should be for us. I'd rather be in the presence of God than be anywhere else. That's what he's saying. I'd rather be in the presence of God than be anywhere else. Where would you rather be today? When you say, I'd rather be in the presence of God than be anywhere else, you start to develop a longing for heaven. Lord, I want to be in heaven. Some people say, the only reason why they want to go to heaven is because they don't want to go to hell. <laughs> and that's why I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to go to hell, so I'll, just, I'll take heaven instead. Is that the reason why you want to be saved? I, as long as I don't go to hell, I'm good. No, the whole purpose of going to heaven is because we want to be in the presence of God. Because we love God. He, you're developing now a longing for heaven. And what really makes heaven, heaven is the unhindered, unrestricted presence of the Lord. Do you know how you're restricted right now with the presence? You're, we're restricted with the presence of God because of this sin-corrupted body that we live in, sin-decaying body, we're restricted, we are hindered from the presence of the Lord from, from this. Now God has torn the veil, we can go directly boldly into the presence of God. But think about this, being in front of Him face to face and saying, Lord, I have developed a longing for heaven. I'd rather be in the presence of God than be anywhere else. It's so amazing when you see people get excited and so motivated by a certain event that's taking place that maybe you're planning. I, can you, I remember planning our wedding with my wife and you anticipate the day. You, you send out, save the dates. 
And you anticipate that day with great awaiting. And you cannot wait for that day of, of a wedding. But think about this. Are you anticipating with great expectancy? Saying, I cannot I have saved that day. For whenever the Lord calls me home, because I want to meet Him face to face. I'm not distracted. I'm focused in what God has called me to do. And in verse 9, look what He tells us as we end. It says, Therefore, I have a longing for heaven. I want to be in His presence. I've saved the date. Therefore, we make it our aim. I want you to underline that we make it our aim. What is your aim? What is your target? What is your goal? If you really want to go to heaven because you want to be in the presence of God, you will make this your aim. There is a lot of times we say, I want to be in the presence of God, but your aim is not this aim. This is not the mark. This is not the target. This is not the ultimate goal. This is not the chief aim in your life. Well, look what Paul's aim was. It says, we make it. And he didn't say, we have it. We have to make it. How do you make this your aim? Your aim and your carnal desire, your fleshly desire, is for everything that is temporal. That we, we don't even, you don't even have to train us for that. But we make it our aim. We deny ourselves and make this our aim, our chief target. What is the aim here? What is the aim here? We make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether we're in heaven or we're here on earth, we're able to make it to be well-pleasing to Him. We want to live lives that are well-pleasing to Him. I had somebody call me yesterday. And they told me, Pastor, we're on, way, we're on our way to Vegas right now. Pastor, do you have a second for, for with us? We just want to know. I'm here with my brother. This is my other brother. We're all, you're on Bluetooth, Pastor Art. And we want to know if, if we sin, are we still going to go to heaven? <laughs> I said, why isn't the aim a different aim? Why isn't the aim we want to be well-pleasing to Him? Why isn't the aim of ours that we just want to be well-pleasing to Him when we're here on earth? Why isn't that the focus? We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. You know what, how you get this aim? Because him wanting to, to, to be in the presence of God gave him this aim. I want to be in the presence of God. So my aim, my ambition is to please him. If I want to be in his presence, it gives me the desire to please him. That's what you have to ask yourself. The basic question today in anything you do in life. Will this please God? Is this going to please God? Is this what I do? Is it something that pleases him? Or am I doing it because it pleases me? Am I doing it because it pleases other people? Am I doing it because I know others were going to be pleased? Or does this please God? Because not only is He convinced, He also has convictions. Notice that. Not only is He convinced, He also has convictions. What are His convictions? If this doesn't please God, then I'm not going to do it. What would happen to the church? If we say, you know what? If this doesn't please God, then I'm not going to do it. Because my aim is to please Him. That is my focus. To please God. Why? Because we don't want to do what's popular. We want to do what's pleasing to Him. And today we're more focused on what is popular than what is pleasing to God, our Lord and Savior. Do you notice here that Paul is saying, we, my conviction is if it doesn't please God, I'm not going to do it because He's prepared to pay the price of leadership. Paul here is a man of leader, and you are a leader too. Please do not excuse yourself from this responsibility. What is the aim today for your life? If you really 
have a longing, a desire, an appetite for the presence of God that you want to be in heaven, then you're going to also develop the byproduct of that is you're going to develop the aim that I want to just please the Lord. You see, he's not being a man that's so restricted with his life. He's being a man that's saying, I want to have the marks of a man of God. You want to have the marks of a woman of God, of a man of God? What are the marks of a man of God and a woman of God? The marks of a man and a woman of God are those that are focused and saying, whatever I do, whether I'm absent or I'm uh, present with the Lord, I'm just going to please Him. I'm just going to, that is my aim. That is the target. As we end today, I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 4. Because in Proverbs chapter 4, it speaks here. And I love how Solomon talks about the aim, the focus. The aim, the focus. What is it that God has for you? What is the aim that God has given you? What is it that, that, that the Solomon here in all his wisdom, something so practical now. Something that we can apply in our lives. That we can use when it comes to aim. When it comes to focus, right, on what is final, on the finish line, on what is it that God has called you to do. Proverbs 4, verse 25. Let's read what it says here. Let your eyes look straight ahead. I love this here. How many times has your eyes looked to the left or to the right? Where you're looking to something that doesn't really matter. Where, where the aim has been lost. Where, where you have distorted vision now. Because your vision is clouded now with the things of this world. No, God here is speaking to us through King Solomon. He's saying, let your eyes look straight ahead. Verse 25 of Proverbs 4. And let your eyelids look right before you. Sometimes our eyelids are all over the place instead of right before us. The eyelids that, 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 that let us... The windows of our soul that are leading us to sin, to lust. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyes look right before you. Look what it talks about, about being rightly pleasing to the Lord. Verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Carefully determine the steps of your feet. Carefully determine the steps of your feet and let them be established carefully. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. This is how your aim, how your focus, how your, you, your steps are walking in faith and not walking in sight. You're focused. You're distracted by what that person is doing over there, what that person is doing over there. Oh, look how, how they got promoted. I didn't get promoted. <laughs> oh, they have the family. I don't have the family. No, look, let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyelids, eyelids ponder right before you. Do not be distracted to the right or to the left. Because you already have a guarantee. And that guarantee is in heaven. It's in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We ask right now, Lord, that you would let our eyes look straight ahead. That our eyelids, Lord, would look right before us. That we would ponder the path, Lord, of our feet and our ways would be established. Or we don't want to wander, Lord, or turn to the right or to the left, Lord. As for some of us here, maybe we lost focus, God. And we have a distorted vision because it's clouded by the things of this world, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would clear our vision for eternal things, God. You'd clear our vision for eternity, Lord.